Welcome to Good Writing, Episode 6. In this episode, we discuss politics and the works of Jarrett Kobeck. Most notably, I Hate the Internet. Thanks, and enjoy. Well, Ben, so, hi. Hi, Emily. Ben, what's good? Not too much. Well, no, lots is good. It's, it's not that not too much is good, but not too much is going on. But it, it's been a good time. It's been a good week. Yeah, so... Uh, welcome, w- welcome to uh, the the Big Words podcast. Uh, the only welcome podcast to the Big about... Words podcast. <laughs> <laughs> a podcast about Ben and I got an MFA, and yet here we are. <laughs> <laughs> and this is about where it's taken us. <laughs> the, the po- I just like to call it the post MFA journey. <laughs> oh man, when oh. we went to AWP our first year of the MFA, I went to this. Um, segment with Carmen Maria Machado and mm. a guy from her she went to the yeah. Iowa Writers Workshop and, and a guy yeah. from that workshop and I've forgotten his name which is awful of me um, mm. but he said that three quarters of his class stopped writing within nine months of finishing the MFA and I heard this our first year of the MFA and I was like we're doomed <laughs> like that's the Iowa workshop numbers yeah. you know yeah well that's because they got all that Iowa pressure like uh, us out here from Florida, like we got. There's no pressure. It's all just palm trees and sunshine, and, and palm trees also, and sunshine, baby. It's true. We, uh, you know, we're, whatever we do end up doing is celebrated. Yeah, exactly, exactly. But yeah, it, it, it's been a decent uh, week at this point, or two weeks. I'm not sure how long it's been since we last recorded, but something like that. You know what I'm about to ask you, don't you? I do know what you're about to ask Are me. you prepared to answer this question? I am prepared to answer this question. Okay, the question is as follows. How's writing going? It's going okay. It's going oh, heck okay. yeah. yeah. Oh, uh, heck oh, yeah. Uh, okay is probably about the best I think most people can ask for, it feels like, as we try to dredge our souls for content. I, I've been doing a lot of writing, uh, none of which has been any good. Uh, it, it's been one of those periods, like, you know... I noticed the air quote in your writing just then. Yeah, like, a lot of it is coming from, like, I, I sat down with the draft of the thesis again um, and, and read, read over, like, the first, like, 10, 15 pages of it and, and you know, was disgusted, um, as you are Classic. want to be. Yeah, and, and I'm just like, I need to figure this out. So I started trying to find my way back to the voice of that piece by, like, writing just kind of one-off stuff, just stuff that I have no intention of including in the piece, but just things that help me maybe mm-hmm. better understand the world that I'm building a little bit, like trying to go and write that sort of stuff off. I, I was actually thinking about what we were talking about um, uh, last time uh, when we recorded, uh, talking about how writing things to that, like, describe the character, like, in their... Um, intentions after the fact and things that happen to them far in the future from the point of writing and like the things that happened in the past and try to put that wait stuff a, together yeah wait a minute you used our own <laughs> advice in your writing yeah, yeah. oh my <laughs> word it, it's great when you don't feel inspired at all to just use something that uh you talked about before is maybe a good idea and, and um it's going like i said uh, not great, but it's going. It, it's it's it you is heard it in here motion. first, folks. This podcast works. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly, exactly. No, and so you know, just been doing stuff like that. Like, and I'm 
considering fight trying to maybe look for a place to try to publish this short story that I wrote um, the uh, the one that we talked about a few times on here uh, just trying to get that because I, I think that's that it feels done I don't know what I would add to it at this point like yeah I, I might have you look at it one more time and then you can tell me if you think it needs anything like yeah please send her over the bird lady short f- story I'm into it yeah, yeah exactly and then hopefully I can get that finished off and then like just try to get it published somewhere and then keep moving um <laughs> yeah that's all there is to do you're all yeah that's all there is to do i was trying to submit this was like a year ago i was trying to submit a creative nonfiction essay a per, um, mm. personal essay blended mm. journalism i don't know what i was doing and i went back to it to try to revise it because it had been universally rejected from everywhere that i had submitted it to and in rereading it i thought Honestly, this is as good as I am able to make it. I'd have to be a substantially better person. Mm-hmm. Like, I'd have to do substantial personal growth to have any more <laughs> material to work into this. Like, this is as good as it will be. So, I'll just... <laughs> I love that. The, the answers are on the other side of the veil, like, of experience. Yeah. Like, yeah, I don't have better material to work in, and it's... it's uh. I'm not, I, this is as good as craft as I have in me, so it just isn't the right fit for those magazines. <laughs> yeah. Well, well, screw them. They'll go on names so that they'll publish us in the future, but fuck all of them. <laughs> so discouraging. Fair yeah. choices, though. Like, it's not a, I always yeah. look back on my rejected pieces and I'm like, no, I get it. Like, you're, yeah. that's, that's acceptable. <laughs> I, I, too, would have not read this and just kind of flushed it out of the slush pile. <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> Right, didn't uh, me. Oh, yeah. yay, Ben! Congrats on getting back yeah. in the saddle. Yeah, it's good. Like I'm, I'm putting in work. <laughs> so when sorts. you said you did the exercise, when you said you did the exercise from last week's episode, you're talking about that like flash forward. Yeah. What would this character think about this in ten years? Stuff. Yeah, exactly. Like just, just as trying to find an understanding of the character. Except it, it wasn't so much about a character as a space, but just like mm. trying to look at it. Like, cause you know, my my thesis is about a hotel. Um, to risk going too far into it. Um, but like, yeah, just trying to write about the space in that way, and trying to write about its effect on, on locations and things like that. Like, it just okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I really like I really like this the the parts of that that I have read. I've not got had the pleasure of re- sitting down for the entire experience yet. But I, when you're I, ready, I I'm do. ready. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know if there's a pleasure of the entire experience yet. I think that, that that's still a little ways down the road. But we'll see. We'll see. You're just a much more experimental writer than most, and what you're interested in doing, you know, it does take mm-hmm. a lot of different drafts to to have yeah. it be cohesive. Yeah. That's yeah, annoying, think... though. See, I don't like that you said that to me. It's true, though. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I'm full of correct accuracies. <laughs> you, you, you have much wisdom, but as usual, wisdom makes people angry. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, as is the way. <laughs> yeah. How about you? How's writing going? Oh, man, it's good. I actually found a contest that I want to submit to. I'm going to spend 20 of my dollars. Ooh, 20 human dollars. 20 human dollars in order to wait six months to hear if I was accepted. (laughs) (laughs) 
Oh, literary magazine. So yeah, I'm going to submit to this contest. I'm, I've been working on that today. Nice. Um, God, I, I love revising, Ben. I'm, I'm passionate about, okay, I've already got something yeah. here that will work. Like, come on, get it to the next level. I find that so much more mm-hmm. easy to jump into than drafting. Yeah, revising is definitely like the the thing that I will go back to as well. Like, yeah. So, what what are you revising? Is it something that you the you're writing new for the contest, or is it something else? It's it's actually an excerpt from my novel, which was also my Mm. thesis, dear dear listeners from the MFA. Nice. Um, Yeah, I'm working on getting it to work as a standalone better, but I, you know, it was rereading it after some time away it was definitely an experience of like oh a lot of throat clearing at the beginning i don't know and then like i once it got going i was like i really do have something that i believe in here which is always really reassuring to me <laughs> to remember that uh, once it gets going i've got something decent here yeah no it's it's very good everything i've read from it i've also very much enjoyed and thought like damn this this is slick it, it reads like you know that's right so so much of what I feel like we read during the MFA, like from our fellow classmates, just because it was in draft mode, like you you get that like oh this doesn't quite move yet, like but that that everything that you showed us from that the uh, it's it's in motion, it's absolutely I going. Honestly, yeah. First of all, thank you very much because I, I that's something I worked very hard on, and honestly, the reason I think I what I submitted during school, I, I spent the year out like a year more than a year revising it after the final Mm -hmm. submission for the MFA. Mm -hmm. And I really think during that time, the pandemic hit, I had no tolerance for experimental or slower literary things. I read Mm -hmm. action, fantasy, Mm -hmm. romance, genre stuff. And I Mm -hmm. think uh, that was a huge breakthrough for me as a writer. So Mm -hmm. if anyone, I really think all of the read diversity advice is is so true. (laughs) It's so, so true. And even if what I want to be writing is maybe slower, literary, more introspective, like using those tools from genre, like I think has made me so much better. Yeah. Yeah. No, there, there's something to be learned from every corner. Uh, everything that gets read can be incorporated in some way, including like, you know, grocery lists and weird bullshit and like just a- anything at all. You can kind of learn, you can take weird little, you can, it's surprising how much you can steal. Um, yeah. Yes, it's surprising how much you can steal, but also for me, I it is a conscious, different mindset to as a reader. Like I have to be in the mm-hmm. mindset of analyzing for craft and looking for what I can steal versus just in the like reading. Gone Girl's a banger, and I'll read it every day. But like you have to put on a different hat to like and mm-hmm. just enjoy something that versus to like st- analyze and steal from it. Yeah, yeah, one hundred percent. Like, yeah, because yeah. you got to be looking for it. Like, you know, the, the what is this doing question, like, which is not a question that you want to ask if you're trying to actually like what you read. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. That, that second read is, is a crucial, <laughs> crucial yeah. part. Like, just enjoy it once before you, you put yeah. on the deconstruct brain. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. So I'm reading. Have you been reading anything? Ooh, yeah, I mentioned this last week. Uh, I've been reading um, this literary journalism from the early 1980s AIDS epidemic. It's like a breakdown of just like how badly public health officials failed to take AIDS seriously. Um, It was published in 1987, and it's like 
from 1979 through 1985. It's called And the Band Played On. It's by Randy Schultz. Um, and I have, this is a big, thick, freaking book. Mm-hmm. I've been reading this like how, like how Republican adults read the Bible. Like I've been reading this like a chapter at a time and then announcing, what does this word mean? <laughs> what is cytomegalovirus? And then having to look that up. Um, so yeah, I've been what reading is cytomegalovirus? Yeah. looking up words as I go and then um, just talking about it nonstop. My, 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 my girlfriend is a, it's, is in healthcare. So like, just mm-hmm. like constantly being like, did you know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I, like, I definitely yes. think this is how, yeah, I think this is how people read the Bible, isn't it? Like just a chapter <laughs> yeah. at a time and then they go home and they talk about it all day. They like mm-hmm. one chapter a day. You're committed to finishing the book within the year. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah. 100%. Well, that, that's and amazing. It, it, yeah, and it was one of those, like, I think I know kind of the gist of how the story is going to go, but, like, mm-hmm. okay, I'll actually sit down and read the text. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's nice. what I'm up to. What about you? Oh, and nice. I finally, I checked out Men in Need's Rehearsal Space. Oh, nice. I we talked to a few episodes ago. I haven't yeah. gotten to it yet. It'll be my special treat once I get through this freaking doorstopper of a paperback. Yeah. <laughs> Hell yeah, exactly. A, a nice afternoon read instead of a, <laughs> a month-long process. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. For real. For yeah. real. What are you I, reading? I, I recently read... Well, I, I picked up and I, I stopped reading a book. Um, I, I was reading um, I Love Dick by um, Chris Krause, uh, which is a... Pr- I believe her last name is pronounced Krause. Uh, she's an art critic and um, filmmaker as well. Um, and I'd read some of her art criticism at some point of... God, I want to say almost seven years ago at this point, so I don't really remember it, but I remembered enjoying it. Um, and this, uh, her, this book is kind of considered to be one of those seminal, like experimental novels of the '90s. Um, I, I feel like you can kind of put her in the same strata as writers like um, Kathy Acker uh, comes to mind for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, may, I, I think Alan Moore is not a terrible comparison to make either, um, as far as like you know the kind of intellectual circles that she uh exists in because she it's one of those books that is kind of that very strange combination of fiction memoir and like you know here's all my opinions about art i'm also going to continue to do art criticism and theory work while i'm writing this novel um and that those things all kind of incorporating together and i did not like it i did not like it one bit um it, it was in it, it's it be and it's no fault of the novel it's like it, it's definitely like when it was written it was doing something very interesting but at this point like you know it, it falls into that realm where like what it did that was really innovative was like this combination of like oh theoretical criticism and the act of doing critical work is important to the actual like text and plot of the novel like the the critical work matters in terms of how you uh-huh. also read the characters um so but my problem with that is and it kind of like therefore fall and they're like oh it's so innovative it combines high theory and fiction um but at the same time like there is also the much newer more recently developed genre of theory fiction that does this much more explicitly in a more interesting way instead of like it being Mm. like oh these theoretical concepts are important to the plot of the novel it's instead let's write 
actual fiction as if it were theoretical, like as if we were writing a critical text. Like the there's a book by this guy uh, Reza Nagaristani um, called Cyclonopedia, which is about like what if oil was a Lovecraftian horror um, hiding underneath the Middle East? And like, let's write about that as like a conceptual frame, which to me is much more interesting than this uh, novel slash memoir about having an affair in which the main characters uh, utilize their their work as like artists and like critics as justification for their having this affair, like this examination Mm. of erotics. And and it's like, it's not badly written. It's not unfunny. It's not like, I don't think it's bad. It it just wasn't, I I just think it's kind of been outpaced by other things, at least by now. Yeah. yeah. Sorry, I didn't get it. I didn't catch a single one of those references. I started Googling (laughs) names as you were going and I was like, there's too many. I don't know how to spell any of this. I'm going to stop. So... What you read is more like using art theory to justify day-to-day, like, quote, everyday experiences. And what you're more interested in is using art theory as a inventive premise for a, like, the actual core of the, what the story is about, rather than just, like, texture, like, decorating it. Yeah, exactly. 100% exactly that. Like, yeah. Cool. So yeah, so I read part huh. of this and was sad, was sad to learn that I didn't like it. And then I finished a book called A Kick in the Belly, uh, which is a history of um, women and enslavement in um, the West Indies. And it was, uh, you know, it, it's it's what that is. Like it was a very, it's a very good book. It's really well written. Like especially as like a history text goes, extremely accessible in terms of prose. Mm-hmm. But you're reading about an extremely harsh and cruel reality the entire time. Um, like it, it's a really light and fluffy holiday week yeah. for Ben. It sounds. Yeah. <laughs> Exactly. I was just—I was literally sitting at the table that I had eaten my birthday dinner at the night before. Like I was like doing my half day of work, which there wasn't much to do, and I was like, "Oh, I'll finish my book now." <laughs> it's like uh, decided to bring myself down before driving to Tampa. I guess. <laughs> yeah, I wanted to send send off the in-law parents with a bummer of an attitude. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Yeah. But yeah. That's that, that's what I've been reading lately. Yeah, um, but yeah, that that's been a, that's been that. So, how do we feel in, about in this? I'm mm-hmm. pumped. Go ahead for the words that you just started saying, and then I talked over you. Sorry, go ahead. <laughs> no, you go ahead. You, I, I talk over people. We feel time, pumped. Please. We feel pumped. Yeah. Um, <laughs> We found what you sent me for for to, to read for today really exciting. So yes. so you introduce it. How what what the hell is this, Ben? Okay. Do do you or do you not hate the internet? Um, is the question that I was going to ask. Does anyone have a yes no answer on that? Right, that is, the, <laughs> I, I think the accurate. Well, Jarrett Kobeck has a yes no answer on that, and because uh, we are reading an excerpt <laughs> from Jarrett Kobeck's "I Hate the Internet." Um, self-published, um, in 2014, I want to say. Uh, let's see. Just looking for a date on my copy. 
2016. Okay, yeah. Published in 2016. Uh, Self-published. I Hate the Internet by Jarrett Kobeck. Um, A very strange um, comic novel uh, about um, kind of the... uh, Kind of rhapsodizing on, as the title suggests, the reasons why the internet has been bad to people and to the world at large. Uh, Done so through the lens of a group of characters that Jarrett Kobeck writes out pretty much consistently throughout all of his fictions. Um, you know, you Adeline, Jeremy Winterbloss, um, he doesn't get, uh, uh, J, oh God, I'm gonna really fuck up the pronunciation on this, uh, J. Karakhenim, um, the, um, which is his stand-in for himself in these novels. Um, oh, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, like, yeah. The These characters make up kind of his personal universe in his fiction. They also appear in the book um, uh, The Future Won't Be Long, I, I believe, is the book that came out after this one. And also uh, BTW, they are present in this. Just making sure I got that right. Yeah, The Future Won't Be Long is the one. Um, and, and these this group of characters and it is about the fallout um that his character adeline receives after it is outed that she is a woman who had been uh, drawing this comic book uh, uh trill under a pseudonym as well as her um writing partner for this uh jeremy winterbloss um who is a black man they had been writing pseudonymously they had written this uh, genre fiction piece about um kind of like anthropomorphic cats or something and those and it was recently revealed that they were a woman and a black man and not two white men writing this and that um is about the fallout that they received on the internet uh which would be as you would assume uh fucking awful because that's how those things tend to go for a lot of people like yeah not a pleasant place what year is gamergate that this was published in 2016 and like it was that seems i know video games and comic book cultures are are adjacent but i definitely think that's uh i wonder if gamergate was an inspiration for that plot of like yeah a cis white white straight boy dominated fan Mm -hmm. base like isn't Mm -hmm. cool when they find out their their creators are secretly minorities uh yeah that there are people making these things um yeah gamergate started in like 2013 and I feel like it reached its peak in like 2014, 2015. So that would have all been happening at the exact same time that he was writing a lot of this. Um, yeah. Like, and, and the thing that I want to talk about uh, with this book is the way that Kobeck addresses the political in, in his mm. writing here. And the extremely direct and like without like filigree that way it, that he just kind of states directly on the page like it's his opinion essentially you're get, it doesn't feel like there's a big like distance between the narrator and the author like it, even though you know there mm-hmm. is that separation but it's just like very clearly this narrator is just saying like this is what's happened in history this is the case this is the facts you know down to like the like biological mentioning that like the reason that people are the believe that the uh, social construction of the black race is a bad thing is because of simply there's an extra layer of eumelanin in the basal layer of their skin. Like, like down to these very, like, 
just right. scientifically, biologically laid out things. And, and I think that there is something to be taken from the fact of just very directly stating your politics and your, like, positioning on things within the work that you create. Like, I, I don't think that it works for every kind of story. I don't think that you can do it in everything. But I think that... I think that especially now in 2021, it's something that needs to be done more directly. It's something that I think about a lot, too. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. The, uh, uh, the facade of neutral, uh, mm-hmm. neutral objectivity was really uh, uh, proved ineffective in 2016. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yes. Uh, that's really interesting that that's what you wanted to talk about today. I actually thought, I think this might reveal why he's, I think, pretty effective at doing that here, is mm-hmm. the craft choice in how he does that, mm-hmm. which is a contrast of diction. Mm-hmm. Um, that's mm-hmm. what really stood out to me here, and I yeah. found really charming and funny was the contrast of mm-hmm. like um, really informal modern day and like weirdly clinical scientific terms and and that's Mm -hmm. really a tool that he uses in different ways throughout um like uh on the page 11 that you sent me um okay so this actually is probably a great example of what you wanted to talk about about it as well okay so (laughs) um middle of page 11 of i hate the internet by jared kobeck most members of the white race were so accustomed to their piglet pink that they couldn't see their own pink. To them, their piglet pink was invisible as the genocides committed by their forefathers. Like, the piglet pink mm-hmm. contrasted, yeah. like, the diction, the, the vocab contrast of, like, high and low vocabulary was really mm-hmm. charming for me. And is, I like, now that I'm reflecting on it, all of my examples that I, like, underlined were examples of when he was most being as you said most direct about like political and historical uh Mm -hmm. perspective yeah yeah absolutely like it's definitely something that he utilizes throughout it is i I like putting that to the contrast of diction uh, of like because it is very casually written like it's very it it feels very spoken like his voice is very direct um and he's very good Mm -hmm. at making you feel like you are just kind of having this one-on-one conversation with him in the way that he talks and the way that that leads to those kind of jumps from like kind of joking around and being less than serious about it to saying something as serious as you know an entire social hierarchy was built around uh, uh, the, to them their piglet pink was invisible as the genocides committed by their forefathers like something that like is a very impactful and, and deep hitting sentence like yeah huh um, Absolutely. Yeah, I really thought we were going to talk about diction today. You threw me a curveball, oh, Ben. Oh, we, we can talk about diction. It, it, we can talk about the diction, too, because it's all political, like, and down to the ways that it's utilized, even. And that that's just me kind of speaking to a higher order, like, belief that I hold. Like, we, we can't escape it. Like, uh, Words are really political. I mean, yeah. I skimmed my, Michel Foucault once. Um. Mm-hmm. <laughs> As we all have, you know, <laughs> words are really political. Michel Foucault. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't even know it all reality. Like the the uh, deconstructionist literary theory, right? Says that how we talk about something frames what the content of our conversation will be, right? So, yeah. like black and white 
for example, like he, mm-hmm. I think it was Foucault who said that words, like the definition of words, are a hierarchical bi- binaries, right? Mm-hmm. White mm-hmm. and black, and white is the mm-hmm. opposite of bad, black and better than black, good yes. and bad, good and evil, um, man and woman, like, f- like <sighs> the definition of words bias how we think about it. So, yeah. like, um, if we called somebody, if we called a poli- like a politician a dove, or if we called him a moderate, right? Mm-hmm. In both cases, we mean he's someone who wants to find a solution that is not violence so that we can have a mm-hmm. political peace. But, like, mm-hmm. if we're calling him a, a moderate, then we're implying that he's, like, all everybody else is a radical, whereas if we call him a dove, mm-hmm. we're saying that he's exceptional, right? Yeah. So, Sorry, I, I just really like that Foucault piece that I skimmed years ago. Um, so, <laughs> so yeah, yeah, but also just like as, you know, generally the personal is political, right? Like everything mm. can be viewed as political. And um, if he, like even the sections that aren't necessarily about before he really gets onto like uh, racism in the comic book industry, for example, um, like he's all leading up to it, right? So like, mm-hmm. uh, on the first page of chapter, th- you only sent me like chapter three and through four, yeah. I think. Yeah, um, yeah, it's like ten pages. Yeah. So like on the first page, he uses like this common language that I think is meant to disarm us, so that we are more willing to listen to him when he gets to a heavier topic. Mm-hmm. So like, mm-hmm. they're talking about like other comics that they're comparing what they want to create to. And it mm-hmm. says it's like about a cat, a cat stripper named Omaha is a comic yeah. that they're comparing themselves to. Omaha was a stripper in an urban milieu. Being a cat dancer got Omaha into all kinds of trouble. Like that all kinds of trouble, I, <laughs> I noted as like a funny phrasing because it probably comes straight from like, that's like a, the kind of poet's ear for like taking phrasing out of ads or phrasing out of yeah. everyday locations. But yeah. like that is seconds before talking about racism and sexism. And so like, I think the being lighthearted is even a way to like use lighter diction to charm us into listening to an author talk about a heavier subject. Yeah, absolutely. I, I completely agree on that, that, that it's like, it, it wouldn't be possible for him to make such decent political points if he was, if he wasn't couching them in some way in this like more relatable context like you're saying like we we absolutely you know i i think that there's a tendency to kind of push away from something that too overtly like tries to reveal itself politically to you like you know i say this mm-hmm. as someone who is invested in politics and feels you know like tries to be politically aware like even then sometimes it, i'll you know if i see one instagram post too many of someone telling me like you know oh this has to be like this and this needs to go in this direction and you need to think about things like this way and use this language even then it gets to be like okay that's it's too much i don't want i, I can't care but having that yeah. entry like provides the uh, the the audience a cushion of like understanding of the person saying this before understanding their opinion and therefore that makes the opinion much more easier to like contend with and to swallow and to like facilitate yeah yeah we don't tend to care about strangers as political opinions um, yeah. we tend to care about people who we feel like we know personally or people 
who we don't realize they're giving us their political opinions, which is my first read of this was I like, I didn't mm-hmm. read this as like him being overtly political. I read this as him being mm-hmm. funny. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like, and, and that's, that's a great thing also is that it is very funny. Like he once again, kind of kicks ass on there. Um, the, a great moment of that, just to bring that up is the, um, on page 10, uh, talking about uh, the derogatory words, like there are many derogatory words used to describe um, people who are part of the social contracts of the black race, but there were not many derogatory words for members of other so the, the social contracts of the white race. The ones that did exist were sort of useless and packed almost no offensive punch. These were honky, cracker, hillbilly, redneck, peckerwood. Peckerwood had some possibilities. The others were pathetic. Like the- yeah. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> the pathetic was funny for me, too. Yeah, exactly. And, and, it, and it does a great job of calling attention to kind of what you were talking about with that, like, hierarchical, like, balance between words. We see white is good, black is bad. White, then, even the derogatory usage for white is not nearly so coated with offense and, like, vitriol as the uh, derogatory usage that can be aimed towards a person of color. Like, it, it just... It's right in there, and he's, like, calling attention to that without even, like, trying to call attention to that. It's just inherent in the way that he's writing it. Like, Yeah. You know, okay, so something I want to ask you about this. Mm-hmm. Um, so th- what it's really about is this character, Adeline, who's a white white woman comic book illustrator, mm-hmm. and this character, Jeremy Winterbloss, who is a black man comic book mm-hmm. writer. Yeah. Like they get flamed online outside yes. of perception that you're he really really is like cool we'll come back to this but then like takes a yeah. very long series of detours through uh american history um mm-hmm. he like i don't know can you can you speak more on that i think as i was reading i was like he's really He's doing it in a charming way that's working for me, but he's going very far out of his way to make sure that political history is included here. Um, yeah. Is, does he do that throughout the book? Like, what do you think the benefits are? Um, the main reason for that is that I, I think that um, Kobeck is trying to essentially present that this, like, the vitriolic way in which people react to people on the internet and the way in which we like fail to communicate on the internet is essentially a microcosm of the history of the United States itself. That this is the like mm-hmm. newest iteration uh, of a you know historical repetition that that has been going on since since America was founded and since you know Europe decided to colonize the world essentially. Like it, it's. It is just a reiteration of that same violence in a new way. Um, And Mm -hmm. because he says that the in-state of that violence, a point that he makes, and it comes up in here, in the section I sent you, I think it's at the very end of uh, chapter 14. uh, I mean, at the very end of chapter 3 on page 14, um, you you know, he talks about this kind of thing of just like, oh... Why, why are we on this planet? Why are people here? Why do we leave our pointless lives? All the best philosophical and novelistic minds have tried to answer these questions um, <laughs> and have failed to produce our answer. Facebook is amazing because we finally understand why we have hometowns and why we get into relationships and we eat our stupid dinners and have names and own cars and why we try to impress our friends. Why we are here, why we do all of these things, 
at last we can offer a solution. We are on Earth to make Mark Zuckerberg and Sheryl Sandberg richer. Like, he uses this kind of, like, representation of um, history and the cycle of political violence um, has always been a just codified thing to make a certain class of people more money than other people. It's just capitalism exerting itself. That's, that's why the, you know, that's why there was colonization. That's why there was slavery. That's why there were all of these things, and we came up with a trillion horrible reasons to justify all of this because it allowed the ruling classes to consolidate their power and accrue more wealth. Um, and that microcosm, now we just see people doing those exact same historical instances, doing that exact same political violence on the internet in order to make the ruling class richer and consolidate their power and, and allow them to maintain that strata of existence. Like, it's always just poor people being pitted against one another by the ruling class in order to, so that the ruling class can maintain their state, their status. Like, and, and that's yeah, why I think and- he uses all that. Yeah. In this case, too, like, the ruling class of this situation is literally just two people. Like, the consolidation mm-hmm. and the, the lack of distribution of powers. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. yeah. Pretty, pretty severe in this example. Um, mm. Huh, yeah, so you're saying, like, the long detour... It does really tie into the plot really tightly, right? Like, the long Mm -hmm. detour of American history shows, like, what the dynamics that we're replicating online today Mm -hmm. are because of these, and they're also, in many ways, like, identical, too. (laughs) You know, like, Mm -hmm. in some ways, identical, too, because, like, the impact is power consolidation. Yeah, exactly. Like, it's just, he brings up that history because that the history is the plot essentially like and, and that's what allows him i think to st- that's why he benefits in part from stating it so directly because it's also teaching the reader how to read the book like and the like frame that they're going to utilize throughout the rest of the text yeah yeah i i, I mm. think i like briefly looked up some reviews of this book too and it said it was like mm. mixing historical times throughout like this like yeah. taking these historical detours and flashing back throughout um mm-hmm. so it is really yeah, as you said, an early chapter teaching how to read. Like, this is the expectation. Get used to it for the rest yeah. of this book. Um, yeah. huh. But Ben, like, every book is a, mm-hmm. can be read more deeply with mm-hmm. historical context, right? Whether yes. the, Frankly, whether even the writer realizes it. Mm-hmm. Um, why does it work so well here to make it overt? Because it, in this scenario, yeah, every book can be read more deeply if you have historical context. He gives you the historical context. He allows you to, like, <laughs> I like that it allows you to read it deeply on the first read-through because that's already what you're reading. It's just the text. It's not even subtext. And, and I, I think something that uh, writers do when they're trying to, you know, profess to hire art or to hire concepts is that they will try to instead hide these things and, and layer them underneath what they're writing and, and like put mm-hmm. politics is is present is always present many very intelligent writers do this very socially active and like you know people who are considered to be good people that are also writers do this um but instead of stating that directly in the art they create they allow it to be an undercurrent and the art is still somehow like above and distanced from its political impact or its political intentions instead of just having those political intentions 
be there if that's what you're trying to get across. Like, if that's what you want people yeah. to walk away with, then why not just give them that so they can walk away with it? Like, it, it's... Mm-hmm. It, it can be... I do uh, think... Mm-hmm. Well, I just... I think you're so right that, like, we... N- not only with politics, but we assume that if more happens off stage in a book then it's smarter mm-hmm. i think that's mm-hmm. a mm-hmm. habit that i've been working really hard as a writer to kick on in my own mm-hmm. writing because i just assume mm-hmm. that if i imply stuff instead of just having it be set in scene then it'll sound smarter yeah. um yeah. yeah yeah i don't i just don't uh see that that's like a note that i've been having for like just you know plot of a story but like the historical context mm-hmm. i haven't touched yet <laughs> yeah yeah huh. and, and the reason for that is because like it the, i think the i also feel a similar problem as well like with within my own writing so i, I relate to what you're saying there like and, and i think in part it comes from the fact that it's it's not that it's smarter to um leave stuff off stage it's that it's easier to sound smarter if you leave it off stage what's hard to do yes. is to put it in <laughs> and still sound smart like that's that's the difficulty yes. right like yeah it, it is having it be present yeah i agree because mm. i think i have read you know i can think of plenty of things where i've read where it's just not like perfectly great observations but doesn't make for good art to consume or enjoyable or stimulating art to consume when Mm -hmm. like historical context is made too explicit i I, Mm -hmm. uh have had experiences where i'm reading something that makes historical context explicit and i feel like i'm like yeah i know i read i read Mm -hmm. i'm online like you know like i feel like i'm being talked down to rather than entertained or like it doesn't it's not done i don't know i think what jared kovic here here does here is uh it's not subtle it is explicit um but he is doing enough other songs and dance where it doesn't feel it doesn't feel like i'm being condescended to and it still feels like i'm it's part of the uh art and a thing to enjoy yeah yeah and and i think that comes from like you were talking about the diction in large part it's the way that it's presented in a like you know humorous manner or at the very least conversational manner where you don't feel you don't get that issue of like oh you're talking down to me now you you don't think i know about this instead it's like oh we are together engaging in this conversation like yeah yeah it's interesting that he's able to make the historical context explicit but still make me feel like i get to choose my takeaway i'm not being like told what to think about this yeah i get to yeah. i still feel like i have room for interpretation as the reader Mm-hmm. absolutely which is nice too especially huh. because there's room for interpretation but also it's like he states things so plainly and so directly it's like you know where he stands you can think whatever you want but you right? definitely know where he's coming <laughs> from like yeah which is a big advantage wait can and, i read and, uh, Mm-hmm. I have to read exactly the part that when you said that I thought of this. Um, mm-hmm. This is on page eleven in chapter three. Um, uh, okay, so it's like, of course, the social hierarchy's racial component was a generalized dodge to avoid talking about the real factor in establishing order, which is to say, money. Um, and then he he goes on like, 
According to many first-year graduate students in economics, money was a general agreement among a group of people that certain tangibles or intangibles represent the ordering of value. In fact, money was the unit by which people measured humiliation. What would you do for a dollar? What would you do for ten dollars? What would you do for a million dollars? What would you do for a billion dollars? Um, shit, that's good. Mm-hmm. Um, that's some good writing. And also, I <laughs> like I'm just. <laughs> Ooh, uh, and I, uh, I know exactly where he stands, but I still feel like it's done in a way where I get to have my own feelings on the subject matter. Mm-hmm. I'm not forced mm-hmm. to share his opinion. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it, it, it's not. It, it's not trying to indoctrinate you. It, it's just being tantalizing with what it presents. Like, yeah, that mm. that is a great little sequence there too. That that what would you do for a dollar? I, I love that too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that turned oh, up. Man. That turned up on me. Yeah. It went from like textbook first year graduate students in economics would mm-hmm. say to like, what would you do for ten dollars? Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> like, yeah, oh, no. ex- exactly. It's <laughs> I like, got drawn oh, into that. Oh. Yeah, the, <laughs> like the, the use of you mm-hmm. there was very effective. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Oh man! Oh, yeah. I got I got yanked and yoinked into that one. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, interesting. So, what are your sorry? What I want to know more. What are your craft takeaways? How do you um, how how do how do we what do we learn from this? Um, what we learn from this craft takeaways is I think first of all know where you stand on things. Like, you know, that that's more mm. just a life thing than anything. But like, honestly, if you're going, I think that if you're going to be a writer and you're going to attempt to write about the human experience in any way at all, you need to have your own understanding of the human experience and kind of have an idea of where you stand on the big issues outside of in mm. the world. Um, so having that understanding and just, you know, reading about that stuff and, and like engaging with that, like, you know, sometimes very uncomfortable plane of existence is I think necessary to be an, an artist at all, even if like, that's not the direct crux of the art that you're making, like that, which is totally fair. Just like knowing where you stand on that to allow that to inform what you write. And then I think the way that you know the the craft like practice to take away from this is just like putting out your actual opinions like it it might mean that if you're a fiction writer writing more essays and and trying to figure out what you believe about things and put that into writing and finding a way to express that that is not as we've said like that avoids being condescending that avoids being off-putting while still being very direct and true to the beliefs that you hold like Hmm. yeah yeah, I think this is a stronger piece of writing and a stronger story because this man, this writer, is not mealy mouthed on this subject, mm-hmm. right? Like, mm-hmm. exactly. And he, yeah. he also isn't. He's writing about it a little obscurely, you know. Like mm-hmm. the main mm-hmm. plot here that I am promised, at least at the beginning of the section that you sent me, is like we're going to talk about these two comic book creators and we're going to talk mm-hmm. about their fun little comic and we're going to make funny observations about cats who are strippers and stuff yeah. right yeah. and then he worked it in and it is a much like the original comic thing is much richer for the context mm-hmm. exactly yeah uh, like finding huh. ways to have the, those opinions enrich what you're already writing like it, it, it's I, I think it leads to a very I think Kobeck has an advantage in that he is writing a very specific kind of book here in that he is using that historical context as like the 
way of having the reader understand the context of what's going on in the book, which, you know, mm. might not be everyone's goal, but just being able to access that context and being able to point to places in your work where you are giving the context of how you think the world works and, and where people stand in it, um, it is a big advantage as a writer, if for no other reason than it allows you to hold your ground. Like... This is perfect. What so for our next episode that we record next mm-hmm. week, the next one where I choose the writing, I want to talk about yeah. worldview. Okay. Um, yeah. And this is like Emily's less experimental fictional take on mm-hmm. how less experimental writers can work use yeah. worldview to enrich what they're doing. Yeah. Please. Well, we got a two parter. We it. got our little yeah. Minions. All right. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. We we got the through line. <laughs> <laughs> we got that through line coming. <laughs> Oh man, that's amazing! Um, hey, can I ask? So this was self-published. What's that yes. about? Um, I know that that is generally less prestigious. Um, mm-hmm. The section you sent me bangs, and I literally yeah. started. Re- I wanted to read one sentence out loud, and just now I had to read the whole little section because it bangs so hard. It's great writing. Yeah. Um, yeah. But what's up with the fact that it's self-published and? Uh, did he not try to go other conventional routes first? Um, yeah. Yeah. So he's when he published this, he had worked with small publishers before. Um, his uh, book, uh, BTW, was on a publisher, I believe. Um, he wrote a fantastic novel about 9-11 called Atta that's from the perspective of Mohammed Atta, which was put out by Semiotext, the MIT Press. Um, a very, very good novel. Um, and then he wrote another novel that's much longer than this one that he could not get published anywhere. Mm. Um, I think he got kind of disillusioned with the publishing industry as a result of that. Um, I'm not sure of his exact choices for why he chose to self-publish this, but I think it was just kind of a distrust of publishing, disliking playing the game, and, and just kind of like also, as you can tell, he has he's not big on capitalism, so entering into that structure, I think, was not of great <laughs> interest to him. Um, he so he decided to self-publish this a picture of um brett easton ellis reading it shows up on twitter and the book blows up like he it's it sold something like three thousand copies like some it's been translated into a few language and and because it's self-published that became all his money so he he actually managed to make a bunch of money off of the book yeah it it was it was just a cool story (laughs) He got the large book that um, he had written before this one published afterwards with Viking as a result of that. Um, oh, you which go, was, Jared Kovac. <laughs> but that was the worst thing that ever happened to him because then he writes the book afterwards called Only Americans Burn in Hell, which is like him essentially apologizing for publishing with Viking um, and, and saying that that <laughs> I got really full of myself, I shouldn't have done that, and him once again, it's basically the sequel to I Hate the Internet and that it kind of goes back into this su- super huge, like, anti-capital a- anti, you know, like what we perceive of as the good of society, like and trying to push for the, a, a different world order again, and I, I forget who published that. I, I don't think that one was self-published, because but the, that one was definitely from a small publisher as well. Like, yeah. Huh. Heck of a guy. Yeah. yeah. When I see something self-published or from a small publisher that I haven't heard of before, I'm a little skeptical of the quality. Um, mm-hmm. So relieved to hear this was uh, this this guy's moral stance, not his. Uh, 
lack of mm-hmm. lack of ability or lack of uh, writing yeah. ability. Yeah, yeah, he's he's very interesting. Also, I've been pronouncing his name Jared Kobeck. I don't know if that's how you actually pronounce it. I, I should have put that at the beginning of the podcast because I've never heard Sounds him say it or, or heard anyone <laughs> say it. Um, so that's a complete guess on my part. Um, he is Turkish, uh, Turkish American. Um, so that that could it is probably I will in fact say that I am pronouncing it wrong. I'm just gonna put that as that like I'm that's probably not how you pronounce it. But yeah. <laughs> and now you've infected yeah. me and all of our dozen listeners. Yeah, exactly. All 12 of you folks, uh, go out there and do better than me and find out how it's actually pronounced if you're going to say it out loud. Something I should have um, done. I Google this on the end. <laughs> um, hey, can... Okay, wait, one other thing about yeah. this novel. Yeah. Um, generally, I know I know. I had a... I, like, loved that Patricia Lockwood. Um, no mm-hmm. one is talking mm-hmm. about this. But yeah. generally, I think novels about Twitter are tough sells for me. Um, yeah. Because it's such a micro, like it's so few people, mm-hmm. it's and it's mm-hmm. like held up as like the public opinion square, and it's just like so. Yeah. I just want to say, I googled this because I pre- I thought that this uh, that what we were going to talk about today was going to be more about this plot about these red mm-hmm. people getting flamed on Twitter. So I googled this. Mm-hmm. According to the Pew Research Center, uh, less than like twenty two percent of American adults use Twitter at all. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Of that. of all of the content on Twitter is made by 10% of Twitter users. Like, there's two kinds of Twitter users. There's the 90% of Twitter users and the 10% of Twitter users. The 90% of Twitter users tweet, on average, like, median of two two tweets per month. And then 10% of Twitter Twitter users tweet a median of 138 tweets per month. Which is, like, four more more than four tweets a day. Um, Yeah. And so, like, even if, and again, like, those people who tweet, like, four, four tweets a day, that's 10% of Twitter users, they make 80% of Twitter content. Like, yeah. even if it feels like Twitter is unanimously ragging on something, it is, like, less, at the very most, like, 2% of American adults mm-hmm. who are ragging mm-hmm. on that thing. And yeah. so to, like, be flamed on Twitter, like, I've read it's a terrible experience. I agree. Mm-hmm. It feel, would you know, but like at the end of the day, it's only two percent. You know, like the, it's not the vast public opinion square that yeah. it is treated as. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Like, and the percentage of that that is also just you know like bots or the same people posting twice. Um, yeah. yeah, like even within that, it's probably even a smaller number. Like, because of those outlying factors. Like, yeah. yeah. Which is nice to remember. Like, yeah. Yeah. The context of... Uh, yeah. 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 <laughs> I think being less online... Speaking of the yeah. name of this this book novel, being less online is, is good for perspective. Yeah. Absolutely. Like, it, it, an online lifestyle is not a good lifestyle. It's too bad that it is often demanded of us, it feels like. And it's also, it is my lifestyle. <laughs> like, mm-hmm, it is mm-hmm. what it's yeah. like t- to be in the 21st century, uh, catch up with people, and they're like, oh, I, yeah, you didn't know I got a puppy? I posted about it, right? <laughs> yeah, and it's like, I don't I, man. You know how many posts there are? I don't even know, like, know <laughs> half of, I don't know where half the posts I see come from. And ostensibly, I chose them. <laughs> like, yeah. Oh, my God, yeah. I'm so, I, like, 
hate that somebody liked this feature is now the equivalent of somebody retweeted this. It's like, I don't want... If I wanted to share it to everybody and recommend it, I wouldn't retweeted it. These are different buttons. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, yeah. The fact that you can see what people like now is also just ridiculous. Like, uh, I don't know, man. It, yeah, it's a mess. That, that's the other problem. Very nosy is that it's function. like, a, yeah, yeah. A, a messy, gross website. <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> but yeah. Ben, this not cool. End. Thanks for choosing this. Yeah, of course. Thank you for reading it, as always. You know, it's it's cool. People should definitely check him out. He's he's written some cool stuff. And um, if you want, he's also written some nonfiction. Uh, after XXX Tentacion died, he wrote a book about him, uh, which is very interesting. Um, and af- and he's also written a book about the video game Soft and Cuddly for the Boss Fight book series. And I believe he has a thirty three and a third about um. Uh, uh, old dirty bastard self uh album coming out yeah the range of subject matter on this man. yeah yeah exactly he's very cool on that front yeah like <laughs> wicked but yeah all right so instead of leaving on a note of um internet sorrows what what is something that uh you like oh yeah my recommendation for this week i prepped for this one yeah, Hell yeah. okay so i have to tell you a brief story for context on this um, mm-hmm. So our family friend, um, her mom has been on a for some time had been on a YouTube spiral. Hold on, it's not the word, it's not the kind you're thinking of. She was on a craft YouTube spiral, mm-hmm. and then our family mm-hmm. friend retired, and then saw that her mom was really interested in this craft, this like painting thing, but hadn't done anything mm-hmm. about it. And she mm-hmm. found a class at like the local county, whatever. And she took like her retirement has been, she's been taking these like craft classes with her mom, which mm-hmm. is amazing. And then mm-hmm. when I was in town over last week, um, she like brought over all of her materials and we made some. So my recommendation for this week, it's called acrylic pours. It's like a pouring paint. So okay. you just do different colors and then you mm-hmm. pour them onto a canvas or whatever you're pouring it onto. And then you just like, there's more fancy vocab for this, but I had a great time. And then you just kind of like tilt it until it covers the whole canvas and um, mm-hmm. it'll pour in like surprising ways. Um, oh, oh and... I'm looking at some of this stuff now. This looks cool. Yeah. It's been really fun. It was really, really easy. It was low pressure. I made this. I don't know if you can see Oh, this. dope. That's awesome. Yeah. Hell yeah. I literally just like poured some colors into a little cup and then poured it on a canvas and, and, and stretched it out. I made uh, that, and this one's dope as hell. Ocean made this. She has also mm. had been on this YouTube spiral, not acting upon it. Um, so That's Ocean cool. had like additional techniques that I, I didn't yeah. in my. <laughs> so um, I guess you know I haven't been part of it, but it seems like there's a YouTube rabbit hole of just like crafting mm. ideas, mm-hmm. which seems mm-hmm. really nice. And I tried one, mm-hmm. and it, it was fun. <laughs> Oh. Yeah. That's delightful. Yeah. Hell yeah. <laughs> That's been really nice. It's been really nice. Also, I dream of retiring and just taking random craft classes. <laughs> like, oh, that's what, a, what a life. That's what I want. Yeah, I too dream of retiring. Um. <laughs> yeah. What about but you? What's yeah, your rec? Yeah. Uh, my recommendation is I'm going to go with um this technically could have fit into the what i've been reading recently but it's a little different because Ooh. it's a comic book um I, I i recommend um 
I recommend uh, finding the English translations of the Corto Maltese um, comics, which are Italian um, adventure comics from the, like... 50s up through the 80s like the guy who wrote them hugo pratt a very prolific uh, italian comics creator this is like his big character we didn't really have much of him in translation until very recently at least not at wide distribution um he you know if you want just a really really well drawn like super heavy ink lines a very striking look to all of the the art in there and just very fun kind of like indiana jones style adventure comics uh, but it's all centered Fun. around a, a sailor in the Caribbean in, like, the 1910s up to the 1940s. And it's it's really cool. Like, I, I highly recommend it. It's a different take, you know. The comics now are just very different than what they used to be. Um, and, and this, like, it's just interesting seeing this kind of take on, on you know, old, like, you know, um, I'm... Robert Louis Stevenson style like adventure novels like being done in the graphic novel form. Um, those are out through um, Euro Comics, which I believe is an imprint of IDW. So it, it shouldn't be too hard to find them. I, I recommend starting with The Ballad of the Salt Sea. That's the that that's the place to start. I think it, it's 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 very that good. Feels yeah. like the name of my next Dungeons and Dragons campaign is what that sounds mm. like. Mm. <laughs> it's a great, great classic. Mm-hmm. Adventure yeah. Sunday. Uh, the, uh, the Ballad of the Salt Sea. Neat. Corto Maltese. Yeah, this is common. Okay, cool. This, I might be able to actually find this. Yeah, yeah. You, you should definitely be able to get it from the library. I think there's ebook versions of everything, too. So I, I, I think that that is definitely not too hard to the find. The 21st if you can't century. Find a physical copy. Yeah. <laughs> I know, oh. right? It's great. <laughs> it's, it's going pretty well for us. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, the, despite all the bad things, there are some fun, pretty good things, too. So, <laughs> yeah. I love, yeah. I just look at my little library app, and I'm just like in my little couch, and I, yeah. I'm a, I'm a big fan. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> all right. Yeah. I, I, that's all for me. This was the uh, Ben and Emily got an MFA, and all we got was this podcast. Podcast. <laughs> uh, if you'd like to get in touch with us, you can send us an, an, e- an email at goodwritingpodcast at gmail dot com. Uh, we would love if you send us like a voice recording. That would be cool. We might air it. Um, in general, mm-hmm. we just would be cool to hear from you. So let us know what you think about the show. If you have ideas, send them our way. Goodwritingpodcast at gmail dot com. And uh, links to various... Yeah, rate and review us, baby. We want those five stars. Yeah, yeah give me all and, five uh, of your stars. links are in the show notes. I yes. want all... F- Thank you very stick much. Stick them up. I want all five. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Open the register. I want that. I know that fifth one's in there. <laughs> Four. What is this garbage? You son of a bitch. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Good night, everybody. All right. Bye, everybody. Bye. <laughs> bye. <laughs>